How many of you are longing for heaven? Anybody? Uh, you know, we face so much in this world in the broken realities, the pains, the setbacks, the loss, discouragement. Lots of reminders that this world is, is fading away, breaking apart, falling apart, struggling. And, and as hard as we try to convince ourselves, man, this is what life is all about, there's ongoing reminders that there's got to be more. Uh, it ties in with Ecclesiastes. You know, God has put eternity into the hearts of his people. It's a, a longing for something more than what we see from what we experience in this world. We have a longing for something that is truly forever. I long for heaven, and I bet you do too. But as we continue our study of, of heaven and that hope of heaven and, and the fact that we have this hope, um, I'm just curious, any of you in school right now? Anybody? Um, so those of you that are in school are maybe in a little better practice on this, um, and those of you who are not, it's maybe been a while since you've taken a quiz, but we're going to do a little quiz, and it's a true or false quiz, okay? So, but I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud. I'm just going to ask you to work this out in your head and, and give your answers. Just keep them to yourself for now. Here's question number one, true or false? The best part of heaven will be the opportunity to reunite with loved ones. True or false? I'll read that again. The best part of heaven will be the opportunity to reunite with loved ones. That's the first question, true or false. Got your answer? Okay, on to question number two. True or false? When we die, we get a set of wings and become angels. Again, true or false? When we die, we get a set of wings and become angels. True or false? That's question number two. Ready for question number three? Question number three. The hope of heaven is only a future reality when Jesus comes back in glory. True or false? The hope of heaven is only a future reality when Jesus comes back in glory. True or false? Okay, got your answer. Um, now, I could probably list another 50 or 100 or 200 questions on this, but we're going to stick to those three, and in particular because I find it fascinating that Jesus actually answers these um, in the gospel reading today. Now, when we read the Old Testament reading, some of you were thinking, hey, uh, we have this hope, so why are we reading the account of Moses in the burning bush? That really doesn't make any sense. Why would that have any bearing on heaven and that's why I love the scriptures and, and the fact that scripture interprets scripture and how God's word often ties back to another portion of God's word and especially when it comes to the word of Jesus and what Jesus uses to answer questions that were asked to him when he was given quizzes and how he would quote scripture in order to answer those questions. Jesus was being asked a question by the Sadducees. Uh, maybe you remember learning this. There, there are two major um, uh, parts uh, or, or religious leaders in Jesus' day as part of the Sanhedrin. One group was called the Sadducees and the other group was called the Pharisees, right? So these two groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And, and one of the things, uh, a way of, of clarifying this, I, I remember going back to Sunday school learning this, what, what differentiates the Sadducees was the fact that they did not believe in the resurrection and they did not believe in angels. And I, I remember 
a way to remember that is they were sad, you see, that they didn't believe in the resurrection. And if you didn't catch that, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they were sad, you see. Um, You will never forget that ever again. I never forgot that when somebody shared that corny phrase, but it makes sense. They were Sadducee, and and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels, but they also were the majority group politically within Judaism. They had the majority seating on the Sanhedrin, so um, often what they would say would go, and so that was the majority view on the afterlife is that there's no resurrection, And they go to Jesus, and they they go to ask him a question as Sadducees that do not believe in the resurrection, do not believe in angels, and they put together this hypothetical question for Jesus, which is, is quite fascinating. In the question, here's what they ask. They're they're basically putting together um, what was called as the Leverate marriage law from, from the Old Testament in the time of Moses that was put into practice um, in order that if, if a woman lost her husband, given the culture was such that if she did not have anyone to provide for her, she would be left to beg on the streets. And, and so the idea was provide for her in the future. So if, if a, a man passes away and leaves a widow, and, and she is childless because then she would, no longer, she would also not have an heir to provide for her family. Um, Moses gave this law, and, and, and it was put into practice that then the brother, if, if there was a brother of the man who died, um, would then marry this woman and, and understood, produce offspring that would then carry on the family name. One, that would be one important thing, carry on the family name, but also create a source of income for the widow. And, and so they come to Jesus, and if you're curious, you want to read up on this this week, and, and maybe this afternoon, is uh, go to Deuteronomy and, and read more about it. I think it's chapter 25, the, the Leverite law that's laid, laid out there. And, and so you've got this, this being asked of Jesus, given this scenario, they say, well, Moses gave this law, and let's just say, Jesus, that a woman loses her husband and the brother of the, the man who died marries her, but then he dies and they still have no kids. And let's just say hypothetically that there are seven brothers in the family and all seven of them marry this woman and none of them produce any offspring and then the woman dies. And here's the question, quite a hypothetical question, isn't it? And the setup, you would say. Uh, by the way, have you ever had a test where there's a word problem? And I used to, I, I never could, I never liked those on tests because I, oh, you just, you're like, okay. So if, if, it, if, that, if it's 50 miles here and you've got 20 miles worth of gas and, and, and it goes in all the, you know, I, I never liked those questions. It's almost like that. Jesus is being asked, given all this as a scenario, who will be the woman's husband in, after the resurrection? Now, why are they asking this question? Um, do they believe in the resurrection? No, they don't. And, and that's the point here. Is they're trying to point out why the resurrection is such a problem. Because after all, if, if this law is enacted, which it is and has been throughout their history, after all, then in heaven, when there's the resurrection, whose husband is going to belong to this woman? This is a problem. This is going to create an absolute issue one day. And, and so this is how Jesus answers. And you can almost... 
or realize this is kind of that E.F. Hutton moment, what's he going to say? Well, this is what he says. Jesus responds, and he says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. Jesus goes on. He says, they are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Okay. So remember those two true and false questions we started with. Number one is, the best part of heaven will be the opportunity to reunite with loved ones. And the second one is, when we die, we get a set of wings and become an angel. Um, Let me answer that second one first. Um, I hear it said once in a while. I hear it at at funerals. I hear it at... at, uh, visitations at funeral homes, and every once in a while you overhear it, someone will say, oh, they will make such an amazing angel. And I get it because you're kind of like, you're nervous, what do you say? And often it's one of those things that comes out. We've heard it said, people have said it before, and it, it sounds right, and it, it's almost become one of those things that we, we, we teach and, and confess among many. They say, well, when we die, we become an angel. I mean, that sounds so good. You get wings, and, and we kind of flitter across from cloud to cloud in this, this dreamy place where we're longing to go there where we will become an angel. And the problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. And, and I just want to make it clear, if you've ever said that, I don't want you to walk away feeling really guilty and shamed. That's not my point. I'm just going to say, don't say that anymore if you say that. Don't, don't do that. It's not biblical. And you say, well, wasn't that what Jesus said? I mean, he said they will be like the angels. He's not saying that those who die become angels. It's not actually what he's saying. What he's saying is they will not be given to marriage and they will no longer die like the angels. Angels don't marry. Um, angels don't die. They are immortal or in, in eternal, and, and they are the created order. God created angels, but here's the other side on that question of do we become angels when we die? Um, why would we want to? Uh, when God has created us as the highlight of his creation, God saved the best for last when he created you and me. God created them, male and female. They were created as the highlight of his creation. The scriptures speak to that. The angels were not. The angels were subservient, created by Jesus to serve his highlight of creation. So to say, hey, we're gonna become an angel one day, that's actually a demotion. So to lay that out there, don't say that anymore. That's not what the scriptures teach. Jesus is saying it will be like them, but not in in that we become angels. Not at all. That's a misquoting of scripture, though that's often where this teaching comes from. But let's get back to that first question then. The best part of heaven will be the opportunity to reunite with loved ones. Now that's kind of a a hard one, um, and it's maybe a a trick question in some ways, because I, I know this. I know it personally, when my mom passed away, um, when I was in college, ever since then, I cannot wait to see her again. Cannot wait. And uh, that's, that's years ago now, you know, over 20-some years ago. And I know when we moved to Michigan and my father-in-law passed away. Um, that was hard stuff. I mean, we were, we were just getting excited about living in the area and all the memories we were going to make. I mean, just one of my favorite people. And and he passed away of cancer within a few months of the diagnosis. That was very hard. And, and I cannot wait to see him again. Can't wait. 
And, and some of you, as we, we last weekend uh, listed a, a, a group of names of people over this past year who've gone home to heaven, dearly loved people, and we can't wait to see them again. Some of them children, some of them grandparents, some of them spouses. And those relational ties that God blessed us with in this world and in this life, that we long to see them again and share those those relationships into the future. Well, here's what scripture says, at least on one aspect of that relationship. And I, I hear it in the right context here. When Jesus is asked, will there be marriage in heaven? He's responding, there is no marriage. It'd be like angels. Angels don't get married. So the marriage relationship isn't an eternal reality. It was for this purpose in this life. Jesus goes, says, go and be fruitful and multiply through God's word in, back in Genesis. So marriage forms a, a basis of populating the world, and, and that's a spiritual, beautiful thing. But in heaven, there's a new reality. And, and what Jesus is saying is, it's not a question of a woman who had seven husbands. Whose wife is she going to be? That's not a question that comes up in heaven. Because the new reality is, the relationship we've had with loved ones is now a relationship we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the relationship ultimately we have with Jesus is what supersedes all of that. There's now no mistake that when, when God speaks about the realities of the relationship of the church to Jesus. Jesus is often called the bridegroom and the church is called the bride. The marriage that supersedes all other marriages in heaven is our relationship to Jesus. And so that question of the greatest part of heaven one day will be able, that we'll be able to see loved ones who've gone before us, well, that's a part of that, but it's not the best part. And I think that's important for us to realize is our relationship with Jesus it was, is what makes that reality possible. Our relationship with Jesus in a face-to-face matter, free from the brokenness of pain and setback and loss and, and, and the frustrations of this world, that's going to be the best part of heaven. It's a day when we are in his presence in an unhindered way. That's what makes heaven, heaven. It's what it makes hell, hell is the absence of God's presence. And when we are in the fullness of God's glory, in the fullness of that relationship we were made for, created for, there is gonna be no longings to say, I need someone else in my life. No, we won't. And I would dare say even today, what we really need is more Jesus. A Savior Jesus who meets us through his word, meets us through the sacrament. A Savior Jesus who reminds us that we are baptized children of God, that we have a relationship, a marital relationship with him for eternity. That's a beautiful thing as his church. And it's a longing we have for the fulfillment of that. And the extra part of it is, yeah, we do get to see the loved ones who've gone before us. And that special bond that we share. And and what that will look like and how that will play out in heaven. I don't know that we can answer that in a full uh, answer from scripture. But we do know this. It's pretty clear that relationship exists. And and that relationship of knowledge of who they are. and, And a connection of knowing them. But not just knowing them. Knowing others as well. I want to just go on. And and that other question that was asked here. Is is that, that question of, well what about the hope of heaven? Is it only a future hope, or is it a present and eternal hope, and, and what does that play out to be? Now, Jesus goes on, and he says this. They are God's children. He's speaking of those who go home to heaven. He says, since they are children of the resurrection. Love that phrase. They're children 
of the resurrection. Jesus, the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, but in, account, in the account of the burning bush, so I love, he brings up, going back to Exodus chapter 3. Even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord God of, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. And put that in context, okay, so what is Jesus trying to prove here? He's quoting Old Testament scripture to point out that even the Old Testament scriptures knew of a resurrection and a current reality that there is life even in the face of death. Language that God quoted to Moses said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He didn't say, I was. <laughs> he said, I am. Because it's a present tense reality. Because he's a God of the living, not a God of the dead. Remember that point when, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and, and he is transfigured in front of their very eyes. He, is, he begins to glow. His, his garments, to say, became like lightning. And it's kind of this, this firsthand view of the glory of, of Jesus' his, his God nature shining through in that moment. Is he meets with two individuals, Moses and Elijah. And scholars have always asked that question, well, how is it that the disciples knew who Jesus was meeting with, other than just looking over and say, he's meeting with two to people, who are they? I, I don't know, who are they? they don't, I don't know, it doesn't, and, you know, and, and the fact is they knew that they were Moses and Elijah. How did they know that? I mean, was it because, man, they, they were thinking back to their Sunday school book lessons and they're like, oh man, yeah, that's his picture, that's Moses. I mean, it's off of that, of course not, right? Was it because they had name tags on? They're like, hey, welcome to St. John, this is, I'm Moses. You know, No, they didn't have name tags on, they just knew and how is it they just knew? Well, because in the presence of Almighty God, God gives us knowledge to know. And, and I've heard it said, you know, that's why, how beautiful is it going to be? We'll get to meet Moses and Elijah one day. We're going to get to meet Malachi or Habakkuk. And, and by the way, it's probably a good idea to read those books of the Bible before you go home to heaven because they're going to ask you, hey, what would you think of my book, right? And, um, you know, to think that we will just know people. And know each other, and as we are fully known by the Lord in his presence and that relationship we have that supersedes all other relationships, the fullness and the amazing contentment and the joy and the gift of what God has prepared us for as people of the resurrection, a Savior Jesus who is comforting his disciples to not let your hearts be troubled, but to trust in God and to trust in me for in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back to take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Thomas, the one who says, I, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Do you hear it there? I am. One of those I am statements of Jesus, and it's amazing. Whenever Jesus said I am publicly, which he said it again and again, he'd always get in trouble, and there was a reason for that. Among the religious leaders of his day, when Jesus said, I am, they heard the reference to Moses in the burning bush when God said, you, I am, I am. Tell them, I am has sent me. And Jesus said, I am. And I've come among you 
as God who can be known in a relationship that is restored from sin and death and brokenness and pain. I am comes and he brings about resurrection and hope beyond hope. Praise be to Jesus for what we long for and a God who brings answers in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can't wait. And we thank you for little reminders along the way of what heaven is, what heaven will be like, also what heaven is not. And we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, you would continue to draw us ever closer to you as a Savior and Lord in that relationship that brings about an eternal perspective and an eternal hope and promise that goes beyond the brokenness of this world. We praise you for it and long for it and can't wait for it. It's in Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.